0: The information provided on this podcast does not, and is not intended to, constitute legal advice. Instead, all information, content, and materials available are for general informational purposes only.
1: Welcome to Rights Here, Rights Now, the podcast about disability, advocacy, and activism. I'm your advocate host, Suzanne Herbst.
0: And I'm your advocate host, Virginia Ferris.
1: Every two weeks, we dig into relevant issues, current events, and avenues for self-advocacy.
0: Because someone has to. And it might as well be us. This podcast is produced by the Disability Law Center of Virginia, the Commonwealth's Protection and Advocacy Agency for Disability Rights. Find out more at dlcv.org. And today we have our
1: wonderful and delightful Dana Trainum back on the podcast to talk about the Netflix film, I Care A Lot. We're going to have an interesting conversation about guardianship, how it's portrayed in that film, and how it really is in the state
0: of Virginia. Yeah, we didn't mean to break Dana, but we did. We did it for your entertainment. So the least you can do is like, share, and subscribe and join us as we delve into this film. And before we jump in, let's check out disability
1: in the news.
2: Vaccine efforts continue to rise with the introduction of a new national hotline. The Administration for Humanity, Women, and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention partnered with several disability counsels to create the Disability Information and Access Line. This is a first-of-the-time national hotline offering information and services directly aimed at boosting access to 19 vaccines for people with disabilities in the United States. The hotline can help people find nearby vaccine sites, make appointments, and link people with services like accessible transportation. The hotline can also provide information and resources to answer any questions about the vaccines and can connect callers to information and services promoting independent living and address needs such as food, housing, and transportation. The hotline is an amazing tool that will continue to grow and add resources and the arrival Connection Point for People with Disabilities. You may call 888 for the hotline, and then it's eight 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 six seven seven one one nine nine.
0: Well today on this very special episode um, a lot of people have been contacting DLCV um, in the wake of the just rock in the world Netflix movie I Care A Lot starring Rosamund Pike. Um, The movie details um, the exploits of an abusive guardian. And a lot of people have been wondering, you know, is this something that could happen to me or my loved one, you know, what do we need to do to make sure that it's not so back in the studio today we have the gorgeous Dana Trainum, um to share all of her knowledge about guardianships and oh my god Dana what do I need to do, how do I make this not happen.
3: <laughs> Hi guys it's so great to be back with you.
1: We are so excited to have you. I feel like at the top of this, I should quickly say, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the movie and you don't want it spoiled for you, don't listen to this podcast right now. Watch the movie. Come back. We would love to have you back in about two hours after you've watched the film and have lots of questions.
0: Yeah. Pause, Pause us pause us whatever you're doing even if you're driving not if you're driving um but just you can come back to this it's important to have seen the movie first unless you plan to never
3: do that which may not be such a bad idea i i have to say guys this this was one one of the most disturbing movies i think i have ever watched um and i've watched a lot of disturbing movies um and I think it's because it's so many uh, movies we watch. It's like, oh, that would never happen to me, right? Um, you know, I would never walk walk in that dark room. Um, where you know, when you're watching the movie, go "Don't go in there! Don't go in there!" Um, but, you know, so I'm like, that would never happen to me. I'd never be that stupid to walk in that dark room. But this is this is different. This 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 is scary stuff.
0: Um, yeah. My my horror movie aficionado husband watched this with me and the entire time, like unlike any other movie I've ever watched with him, he spent the whole time going like, Oh my God, but is that could that oh no, oh no, oh no. And that's that's certainly also awesome, the feeling that I took away from
3: it. Yeah, yeah. Um this really could happen. I mean, I I imagine that is one of the main questions people have at the end of it. I mean, this is fiction. It is not based on any um, actual true story Um, but I would say that it's probably based on many true stories. Um, And so the answer to the question, could this happen? Yes, it could happen. Um, This is not outside of the realm of possibility and I think it is happening. Which is another reason this movie was so disturbing to watch.
0: So, it, in an early scene, and um, one of the, one of sort of the the first questions screamed across the couch at me when I was watching this was, is it true that somebody can just come to your door with a guardianship order? You've never been to a hearing, and you know, say, hey, I'm your guardian now and you have to come with me or there could be real problems for you vis-a-vis the cops. Um, so you have to come with me and you have to live in a nursing home
3: now. So I think the best way to answer that question is, is to talk about the process in Virginia. Um, for, for any of you listening outside of Virginia, just know that guardianship law is state dependent. So what we're talking about today is the law as it stands in Virginia. And I imagine most states are pretty similar. Um, So let's talk about the process. Let's go through a um, a hypothetical case. So Virginia is a really good friend of mine and she sees that I'm um, having some um, problems making decisions that uh, might be in my best interest and maybe I'm unsafe. Or maybe I, you know, have a debilitating illness and I can't make decisions for myself. For whatever reason, Virginia decides I need a guardian and she wants to be that person. Um, Now we really know it's because we work for a private nonprofit and that makes us all millionaires. So what she really wants is access to my money. But, um, (laughs) so the first thing Virginia does is um, gets a lawyer and petitions the court for guardianship. So a little bit of, of, of vocabulary here. Virginia in this case is the petitioner because she's the one that's petitioning the court. Um, I would be the respondent. So I'm the one that's gonna be responding to that petition. You really should have picked somebody with a less confusing name. Well, that's true.
0: Isn't that it's, so true? I should have chosen Suzanne. It's Suzanne okay. now.
2: Okay. Suzanne. Suzanne. it was always
0: Suzanne. Suzanne listeners you can't see us. Suzanne and I actually look fairly similar so it's not it's not outside of the realm of possibility that Dana would get confused
3: it's, yes it's, yeah, and, it's and, not a stretch yeah and I and I and I do have um some periods of incapacity so yes I I confuse. it is Suzanne who has petitioned the court um to become my guardian So once that petition is filed with the court, and it's usually filed with some evidence um, of my incapacity, which could be a medical report or a letter from my doctor, whatever. um, At that point, the court would schedule a hearing and they would also appoint what's called a guardian ad litem, another vocabulary word. A guardian ad litem is not a guardian. Um, I think it's a very unfortunate use of of that word um, because it's confusing to people. The guardian ad litem is appointed by the court as the attorney for the court. They are the ones that are going to make sure I know my rights, make sure that I'm notified, um, and then to investigate the case, look at the evidence. And then finally they're going to write a report and present it to the court, um, telling the court their opinion on whether I need a guardian, meaning do I have capacity or not, And if I do need a guardian, is Suzanne really the right person for that position? Is she willing, able, capable of of doing that? So once the guardian headline has done that, um, we have a hearing. Now, as the respondent, I have rights. I have the right to be notified, I have the right to know my rights. Uh, I have the right to be represented by my own attorney. The guardian ad litem is not my attorney. Remember, he he or she is the attorney for the court. So I have the right to my own attorney. I have the right to a jury trial. I've never seen it done, but I do have the right to ask for a jury trial. I have the right to subpoena witnesses, um, compel testimony, compel evidence. I have the right to cross-examine Suzanne's witnesses. So I have a lot of rights. And also, I wanna um, wanna talk about having the right to my own attorney. If I can't afford it, then one will be appointed by the court, uh, much like you hear in criminal cases. And the reason that is, is because I have the potential of losing a lot of rights. And so because of that, uh, Virginia wants to make sure that, um, not our Virginia, but the state of Virginia wants to make sure that I um, have the protection of counsel. Um, And I have all these other uh, rights that I mentioned. A hearing is held. The judge here takes into account all the evidence, including the report of the guardian ad litem and any testimony. Um, And then the the court makes two decisions. The first decision is, do I lack capacity? Um, If I lack capacity, then he goes to the second question, which is, who's the best person to be my guardian? Is it Suzanne as the petitioner, or has the guardian ad litem determined that Suzanne really should not handle that position? Okay. So that's the process. I wanna go back to the guardian of litem's role. It's very important that the, guard, the guardian ad litem's role, according to um, Virginia law, is that he, mu- I'm gonna say he just because it's what comes out of my mouth. He must personally visit me. So he can't make a phone call, can't send me a letter, can't send me an email. He must personally visit me. He must advise me of my rights. He must tell the court whether I want um, my own attorney or not. Um, He must investigate the evidence and he must consider whether there's a less restrictive alternative, um, such as an advanced directive supported decision-making. Is there something less restrictive than guardianship? When he gives me notice of what is happening, It has to include certain things. And some of these things have to be in at least 14 point type and must be bold. Um, That's how important they are. Um, And one of the statements, part of it is warning at the hearing, you may lose many of your rights. Um, That has to be told to me, the respondent. So could somebody show up at my door like they did for Diane Wiest and say, hey, I'm your guardian, I'm coming to get you. Not in Virginia. In Virginia, um, being notified of the hearing is what we call jurisdictional, meaning that if it doesn't happen, then the court doesn't have legal authority to, to appoint the guardian. So notice to me um, is um, if that does not happen, then a guardian cannot legally be appointed. So um, in that case, I don't, do we know what state this occurred in? Was it California?
0: I've just been assuming Florida, but that might just be my own
3: prejudices. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. But in Virginia, no, Uh, that would not happen um, because I have to be served notice. In addition to me being served notice, um, my family members have to be served. I know the character in the movie didn't have family members, but, um, and the court is very, the law is very clear that in addition to myself, has to uh, notify three of my, uh, at least three of my immediate family members of this taking place. Um, So there there are notice requirements in Virginia that would help protect against some of what we saw in the movie.
0: So in the movie, they couch that and they sort of get around the you know, what at least I was thinking is typical guardianship process by saying, this is an emergency. And so we're gonna do an emergency guardianship hearing. Is that ever a thing in Virginia?
3: Yeah, and I've seen, I've seen it happen. Um, I refer to it as an expedited hearing. So um, under the law, the court has 120 days to have this hearing once the petition is filed unless the court for some reason continues it past 120 days. So that's the general timeline for these cases. Um, It can be held sooner than that, but 120 days is the time period when it it should be held. When when Suzanne files the petition, she may ask for an expedited hearing asking the court, um, because this is an emergency situation, maybe I have medical treatment that needs to be done right away. Um, a surgery that needs to be done that I cannot consent to Um, and um, you know there's no other way to get consent so you know can the court put this on their docket quicker. So that can certainly happen but that notice requirement is still there. That notice requirement does not go away. The court can waive the requirement to notify family members in in, in this situation but not notice to me as the respondent. So. Uh, Sometimes in an emergency situation, because the entire process is sort of truncated, what the court will do is uh, appoint a temporary guardian. So you may say, "Okay, Suzanne, um, I know things need to be done now, and um, so I'm going to appoint you for the next 90 days. And within that 90 day period, you know, you may ask the court to look at making it permanent. Um, or it may be after that 90 day period, it really isn't necessary anymore and it just lapses at that point. Um, but even if there is an emergency hearing, the court still has to answer those two questions. Does the person lack capacity? And if so, you know, is Suzanne the person who should be the guardian? Sometimes these cases uh, might be brought by a medical uh, facility because the person's in their facility, they know that they need some sort of medical treatment that needs consent. There's nobody available to give consent. So they're asking in the court to um, appoint someone to be their guardian. If there's no family member available, they may go to a professional guardian. Like you know um, the person we saw in the movie, Marla um, was a professional guardian, meaning she wasn't a family member and she got paid for her services. Um, a lot of times these professional guardians are attorneys who are, um, um, on a list to take these types of cases. Sometimes they are they're organizations uh, that do guardianship um, for uh, compensation. So um, that does happen, that a non-family member gets uh, appointed.
2: I have a question, sorry. So, when I she she CCC, they have the guardianship for the Catholic Charities and those what is that?
3: Okay, so let's talk a little bit about public guardians and private guardians. Um, in Virginia, we have a public guardianship program, and um, again, those of you listening in other states, I have no idea whether you have them or not. Um, and maybe if you're listening from another country, I mean, I can hope, right? Um, then I don't know whether what you guys have either. But in Virginia, we have a public guardianship program, and that program is specifically for people who need a guardian. They um, do not have any family or close ties, anybody who is able to serve as their guardian and they're indigent. They are not able to afford to pay for a guardian. So in that case, a public guardianship, um, a public guardian can be appointed So there's no fee for the individual, the state pays for that service. And we have public guardianship programs throughout the state. I'm not sure if the whole state is covered yet by programs, um, but we do have um, several programs throughout the state. They are um, monitored and contracted with the um, Department of Aging and Developmental Services, or DARS, and they are regulated, which is um, very different from private guardianships. Private guardianships are usually family members, but they can also be um, these private uh, paid guardianships. And um, there are no regulations um, for them. They are not, there's no oversight um, on them like there is for the public guardianship program. Um, And so, all right, so that's the difference between public and private. Yes, Virginia. Follow-up question uh
0: why is there no oversight uh
3: well we just don't have that in virginia law um i will say okay let me talk first i want to get back and answer hannah's question so some organizations do public and private guardianships so um i'm not going to name particular agencies but there are agencies in virginia that have public guardianship programs. So that part of their program is regulated by DARS um, and monitored by DARS. And then they also have private guardianships that are paid. So um, Virginia tells me that I can name names. Um, The two biggest ones in Virginia, Hannah mentioned one Catholic Charities and the other is Jewish Family Services. They provide both. Um, public guardianships and paid private guardianships um, so why is there no oversight I, I <sighs> private guardians as well as public guardians do have to file an annual report they have to file a report with the DSS office that is local that you know where the individual lives every year. the report is not that detailed but um, it does you know, Talk about how's the person doing? Do they still need a guardian? How many times have you seen them? Whatever they, you know, it's very basic. The problem with that is, is that if it's not filed, there doesn't seem to be any consistent um, uh, consequence for that. Cool. So DSS, once they get the report, they're supposed to read it. And, and then submit it to the court, the circuit court who um, appointed the guardian in the first place. The problem is if it doesn't happen, they may get a letter from DSS saying, hey, you didn't send us the report. DSS has to notify the court anytime a report is 90 days late. I think it all comes down to money and personnel. Um, we, there are so many guardianships. <clears throat> Who is going to regulate them and monitor them when we're talking about private guardianships and we're talking usually about family members? Um, the public guardianship, on the other hand, I mean, they have, like I said, they have regulations, they have oversight, um, there's required training for all of the staff, they have um, a ratio so they can um, have. Only 20 people per uh, full time staff. In an emergency situation, they can go up to 25 um, or they can get a waiver to go up to 25, but that's it. Um, no more than that. Um, you know, certainly less than Marla had on her wall in the movie. Um, there is no ratio uh, requirement or limitation for private guardians. Uh, Richmond Times Dispatch did an article on private guardianships and possible exploitation and abuse. And they had individuals in that article who had over 100 um, people that they were serving as guardians for.
1: So there's no oversight, you know, once you become a guardian. How do you become a private guardian if you're not just somebody's family member? How does somebody get into this?
3: It's hard to say business, but it sure feels like a business. Oh, it's absolutely a business. It's absolutely a business. You won't find many private guardians taking a case where there's no money involved. Um, I mean, and I'm not saying that as a negative thing because I mean, we all need to eat and we all need to, you know, pay our bills, but um, it is a business. And I also want to preface it by saying probably a lot of people that do it do it for the right reasons, Um, you know, um, but. So how do you become a, uh, you let the court know that you're willing to be um, a guardian for someone. You let social services know, because they're an agency that often petitions the court for guardianship. You just kind of get the word out there, I guess, that you're you know willing to serve in that role. I honestly don't know. Um, as you know, at DLCV, we, we try to help people avoid this stuff um, as opposed to figuring out how they can get one, so. Um, but I imagine it's like any business—you just network and get the word out. Um, but they're under private guardianship. There is no, there's no requirements. There's no training requirements. There's no ratio. There's other than the annual report. There's no oversight. Um, and so you might as well say there is no oversight. Um, the The other thing about the public guardianship program is. Um, and and I'm not like plugging the public guardianship program here, but I am, the differences are kind of stark. um, And I wish we had the same uh, oversight and regulations for private guardianships that we do for public. The public guardianships specifically under regulations have to be guided by person-centered planning. Um, So Virginia law says that the guardian shall always take into account the individual's preferences, values um, as, as they're known. But public guardianship, you know, puts that under regulation that they have to use person centered planning that focuses on the individual's expressed preferences, personal values, um, and empowers and supports the individual um, to become as independent as possible. Uh, our law says this as well. So, under Virginia law, um, the guardianship order even must include a statement in it that says that the guardian to the extent possible shall encourage the incapacitated person, that's the person who has a guardian, to participate in decisions and shall consider the expressed desires, personal values of that person and shall not unreasonably restrict an incapacitated person's ability to communicate with, visit or interact with other persons. So um, I think all in all, Virginia guardianship law is is pretty good um, in terms of protecting the individual's rights to be as independent and and as um, person-centered
1: as possible. You had mentioned earlier, Dana um, that normally a guardian um, that that process will start at least sometimes when there is a medical procedure coming up. In the movie, that wasn't the case. It just sort of seemed like the doctor had decided, you know, this person is losing their memory a little bit, um, and I think they need a guardian now. Is would that kind of thing happen if there's no, you know, medical procedure that's imminent, and just sort of almost casually?
3: Yeah, I've um, I've never known of a situation where. A personal physician would just petition the court for guardianship. It could happen because anybody can file a petition that has concern about, you know, I'm still using me as an example, me as a, uh, you know, um, concern about my welfare. A lot of times what happens, I think, um, if it's not a family member that initiates the process, a case gets referred to Department of Social Services through the Adult Protective Services Program. They can go in and do an investigation and determine that. Um, my living situation is not safe and I'm not capable of making decisions um, that keep me safe. And so they may petition the court um, for guardianship. So other than family members, I think APS and medical facilities uh, are probably two of of the uh, most common ways that that gets done other than family, which is by far the most common way guardianships get started. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not
0: that it's much better, but um, as somebody who has covered very recently, one of the state's geriatric hospitals, that's sort of the, an outcome of um, that APS referral from a third party that I see a lot. I don't see them ending up with guardians as well, obviously because of my position, but um, I see a lot of those people ending up at state hospitals perhaps rather than having a guardian Um, which again, it's not necessarily better, but, uh, you know, there, there's different ways than that, that can go other than just a direct road to guardianship.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it could be that the individual has a medical issue or a medication issue. They can go to a facility, whether it's a medical hospital or mental health facility, get that issue resolved, um, and then go back to living their life. Um, you know, without having to have a guardian. So, and you know, I've mentioned before that DLCV we're all about helping people avoid these things, and um, we certainly saw in I Care a Lot um, why um, people would want to avoid guardianship. But just in case you decide not to watch the movie, um, and just to sort of expand a little bit on why people. Um, uh, would want to avoid guardianship if at all possible. You lose your civil rights. Uh, in the legal world, guardianship is often referred to as a civil death because you lose so many of your civil rights. You lose the right to, and this is not an exhaustive list. This is just off the top of my head. Um, the big one is you lose the right to vote. Um, lose the right to make your medical decisions. Uh, if a conservator is appointed, you don't decide how your money is spent, including selling off your house um, and your possessions, as we saw in the movie. The right to get married, divorce, the right to write a will, um, write a power of attorney or advanced directive, the right to sign any contract, uh, you would never be able to contract for, and that includes renting an apartment, buying a house, getting a credit card, renting an apartment. I mean, you know, anytime you sign your name to something, you do that because you have legal capacity to do it. If you have a guardian, your, your signature really means nothing anymore on a document. So um, uh, other, the right to drive, the right to possess a firearm, um, these are all rights that are lost. Um, and like I said, this is not exhaustive. That's just a few that I can think of on the top of my head. So guardianship, we're, not, we're also not anti-guardianship. Um, I'm not, and DLCV is not. Um, but we do believe that it should be the last resort and should only be used if other less restrictive alternatives um, are not possible or appropriate. So I always look at it as guardianship is a tool in the toolbox, um, but it's the sledgehammer in the toolbox. So if you need a sledgehammer to do the job, then it's in there. But if you just need to nail in a nail or screw in a screw, the sledgehammer will do the job, it'll get it in there for you, um, but it'll cause a lot of unwanted damage as well. So um, when families are thinking about substitute decision making for someone who may have limited capacity or may have diminishing capacity, I tell them the courthouse is always there, it's not going anywhere. So try some of the alternatives and um, you know the less restrictive alternatives and see if they work and if they don't the courthouse is always there uh, if you need to file for guardianship so so you talked about some of the civil rights
0: that were lost one of the big ones that is covered in the movie is that um the guardian is able to restrict um family members ability to visit her wards while they are in nursing
3: homes. Is that, is that realistic? So um, fairly recently in Virginia law uh, included, um, remember that statement I said that has to be in all guardianship orders. Um, the last part of that is that the guardian to the extent possible, shall not unreasonably restrict an incapacitated person's ability to communicate with, visit or interact with other persons that he or she has an established relationship with, so um, you can't just a guardian can't just willy nilly say that you know a family member can't visit. Um, it has to be that, but they can reasonably restrict. In the
1: movie, the you know the main mafia guy, Peter Dinklage. Um, they kept, you know, they kept saying, just, just release her, just release, you know, his mom just release Jennifer Peterson from guardianship. Can you just release
3: somebody from guardianship? No, not under Virginia law. So, uh, under the law, only a court, a judge can appoint a guardian and only a judge can then change that guardianship or terminate the guardianship. So the only, I mean, she could have, um, gone back to the court with medical documentation that the that Jennifer no longer needed a guardian and and she could have said in my opinion she no longer needs a guardian and with this judge you know he would take her word for it um, but no a guardian can't just say okay this person doesn't need a guardian anymore I'm gonna you know release her from guardianship that can happen.
0: Yeah I think that's something that we um, when we are Answering family members questions, something that uh, at least I bring up a lot is, you know, this may feel like something that you need now, but you need to realize that it's um, very expensive and very permanent. And if you want to try to resolve it, that is also very expensive and very time consuming because it's an entire court process and somebody would have to
3: hire attorneys and it's just yeah. Okay. Any, anytime you can keep an attorney out of your life, it's a good day. Um, so a guardianship, it often feels permanent. It's not really permanent because there is a mechanism in the law to modify it or terminate it, but it does require going back to court. And um, that is something that DLCV sometimes assists people with if they're, um, the person is able to present evidence that they no longer need a guardian. So, um, but... You know, if you don't have somebody like us to take that sort of case, then, yeah, you have to pay an attorney to go back to court. I know we're not here to talk about advanced directives, but I will say that that one way to avoid this sort of thing happening um, is to plan ahead, is to have a plan in place, have an advanced directive, name somebody that you want to make decisions for you if that time ever comes when you can't do so. Um, Put plans into place. um, for periods of future incapacity, so that you're not in a, you know, either a crisis situation or you're not in a situation where um, your capacity has gotten to the point where you can no longer do these things. So um, we all need to think about that. It doesn't matter how young you are or how healthy you are. Um, you know, things happen in an instant, which I think we certainly have learned in the last year, and. Um, you know, we need to be prepared for those things. We don't like to think about it, but we, we uh, you know, if the time comes and somebody needs to make a decision for us when we can't, um, you know, that's too late. We need to think about these things ahead of time. And that's how we can avoid having what happened in the movie. Well, on that note, um, Dana, we will have you back
0: very soon nigh immediately uh to talk about advanced directives and how people can make those but in the meantime thank you so much for subjecting yourself to this extremely disturbing movie for
1: us. (laughs) thank you dana (laughs) thank you guys it's always fun to talk to you guys all right well thank you for coming we are always happy to have you on and we'll see you for the advanced directives edition of rights here rights now and now, a DLCV highlight.
2: Did you know that a in brain injury, in some cases, can also be a developmental disability? This is important because Virginia offers a number of helpful services, including Medicaid radio services, to people with disabilities. To learn more about this topic, check out our latest brain injury fact sheet online at one slash tvi. And then that's one
1: slash tvi. We want to thank Dana again for, like we said earlier, breaking herself in order to do this. Um, if you haven't seen the film yet and are interested, just a little warning that it can be rough to watch. Um, but n- not as rough to talk about when you're talking about it with intelligent and kind people like Dana. So I hope you learned some good stuff today and maybe are a little bit less scared. Maybe, maybe, maybe not necessarily less scared, maybe appropriately
0: scared. Appropriately scared and really primed to listen to our upcoming episode on advanced directives to stop this from happening. Exactly. That's a great way to put it.
1: Thank you all for listening to this episode of Rights Here, Rights Now, brought to you by the Disability Law Center of Virginia. We're available on Apple Podcasts,
0: Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. If you need assistance or want more information about DLCV and what we do, visit us online at dlcv.org. Follow
1: us on Twitter at Disability Law VA and share us with your friends. Until next time, I'm Virginia Ferris. And I'm Suzanne Herbst. And this has been Rights Here. Rights Now.